The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's up, everyone? I'm Annie Costable, back with another episode of Equal Play, baby. This week, our guest is hometown star Hillcrest basketball standout turned Northwestern basketball star, now turned USA flag football star. You sense the trend. She's a star, Nadia Bibbs. Stick around for that conversation because up first, I have some hot headlines for you. Candace Parker. She's back. It wasn't a dream. It is reality. You all can breathe easy now. This week, she had her introductory press conference with the media and our very own Madeline Kenny was on that call where CP talked about following her heart right home to the sky. Parker talked with Kevin Durant and Dwayne Wade about the decision, and they both gave her similar advice, saying she had to follow her desire and the rest would work itself out. Here's what CP had to say. Quote, I was brought up. You finish what you start. For 13 years, I feel as though I gave everything I had to the Sparks organization as well as they gave everything they had. I'm not leaving disgruntled. I'm not leaving throwing stuff or upset or angry or demanding a trade. I'm leaving because contractually I can go where I want and I can make that decision. You can read more on CP's return to Chicago in the sky at thesuntimes.com slash sky. Up next, the U.S. Women's National Team announced its roster for the She Believes Cup and unsurprising, the Red Stars were once again well represented. Alyssa Nair, Julie Ertz, and Tierna Davidson were all tapped for that roster while Red Stars' new forward Mal Pugh was left off. That was a surprise for many. Pugh will still be joining the team in Orlando, but as a training player. Vlaco had this to say about Pugh's progress with the team. Quote, It's not necessarily rehabilitation. It's more so getting her back up to speed. Looking back on 2020, Mal missed a camp. She was injured in October. She was injured in November. And she came in January and was injured on the second or third day of camp. So we weren't able to see Mal. You can read more about this story and all the Red Stars news at thesuntimes.com slash soccer. All right. That's all the news I got for you this week. I mean, Sky, Red Stars, what else do we need to talk about? Nothing, in my opinion. <laughs> so here's my conversation with USA flag football wideout, Nadia Bibbs. This week, I'm thrilled to bring in Nadia Bibbs, basketball standout at Hillcrest, D1 player at Northwestern, a member of Mexico National Women's Basketball Team and 
an IHSA and college referee. Now she's adding USA women's football player to the list. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on Equal Play. This is a true joy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. It's just such a pleasure. And I really want to get started from the top. Where else? You grew up playing basketball and also Pop Warner football, I read. So for you, when did you have the realization like, okay, I have to focus on basketball because football isn't really the future for women? Yeah. um, So I started playing Pop Warner probably around third, fourth grade. Um, I think by the time I started reaching seventh, eighth grade, I'm noticing that the boys are getting bigger, stronger. Um, So I think I had to all my love and passion for football and start focusing on basketball pretty much right around eighth grade freshman year. Got it. And, you know, I ask a lot of women who play football this question, but do you think your life would have been different? Your athletic career would have been different if football, like all these other sports we grew up playing, there was a lane for the boys and a lane for the girls. Yeah. Um, I just think they're, when I was growing up, it was just more opportunities for basketball. Um, flag football has become a huge thing now, but it, it wasn't very popular. And a lot of people weren't playing it when I was younger. So I was actually playing, you know, tackle football with the boys. And like, like I said, there just wasn't a woman's team or a girl's team for me to be able to go to college. Like I was able to continue playing basketball after college. Um, and that, that streamline just wasn't available then. Definitely. When you look back on your athletic career, when did you have the realization that basketball was really a future for you beyond just the average kid who, you know, makes varsity and puts up good numbers and then calls it quits? Like, when did you realize, okay, this is where my future could really be at? Yeah, so it was probably about midway through high school. So my freshman year of high school, I was able to make the varsity team and it's just like surreal at that point. And, you know, you're awestruck. I'm playing with these seniors and they're so good. Um, but I think right around midway through my sophomore year where I noticed that I was really competing with the seniors at a sophomore level. And then I'm starting to get the college letters sophomore year, um, going to tournaments and like just being started to be heavily recruited. And I thought, you know, I could, I could probably really do something with this. I think I can use this. And I think that's when I really started just focusing on that sport because freshman year, I was also playing volleyball. I was running track. I was just, you know, just being active. I just loved, loved being active, playing any sport. Um, but I think right around the end of freshman, sophomore year, I started realizing I need to focus more on basketball because that, that's going to be my future. Definitely. And how old were you when you first picked up a basketball? What was your first experience with the sport? <laughs> Oh man. Uh, my parents tell me that when I was a baby, like I always flocked to a ball. Like I always had some type of ball in my hand. They tried to give me dolls. They tried to give me like little cabbage patch dolls, Barbies, and I would just tear them up and then go find a ball and just play with the ball. But yeah, um, yeah but I, I grew up always playing basketball or some type of sports, just like with the kids in my neighborhood, like every day, It'd be a different sport, whether it was baseball, basketball, football. Um, but I didn't start playing on an actual team until fourth grade. I played for 
um, Bridgeview Park District, like a little, you know, rec team. Um, but that was that was my first time playing on a team and I loved it. How did being around those older women, you know, give you confidence, shape your trajectory of then your career in college? How did it motivate you to really um, take your game to the next level? Yeah, I, I actually was the starting point guard my freshman year. Wow. Um, when I first went there. So uh, it was, we had some great players there. Like my starting five from freshman through junior year went all D1. It was amazing. Like I was able to play with Janelle Hughes. Janelle Hughes went on to play at University of Illinois um, and then overseas for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really looked up to her. Like she was a really good player. Um, she also got to play with, I don't know if you remember, Shavonna Hunter, who was yep. a great name at Hillcrest. Um, but playing with them and honestly, it, it made me mature basketball wise very fast because they were already very good. And the year before they had went to super sectionals. Um, so always deep in playoffs every year. And I needed to jump on this boat and like get it going. Right. Like there was no time to be, you know, freshman figuring it out. Um, so I remember freshman year, we didn't do as well as we wanted. I think we just made it to sectional championships, but sophomore year, we were right back at super sectionals. Um, and it was just a great experience. Just, they were so talented and for me to be able to just jump right in and playing point guard, I had great resources to just pass the ball to, you know, get my, <laughs> up. um, I definitely, I don't think I developed much into a score until late sophomore, junior year when, they finally let me shoot the ball, but um, was able to really build my point guard skills and passing the ball. Just that it was a really good team, really fun team actually to play for. During your career from 1999 to 2003, you averaged 18 points your senior year, seven to six, six steals. And you also academically were second in your class of 251 students. Like, shout out to you. Um And I just think this is an important, you know, lesson topic to be multidimensional and especially for young athletes and especially for young talented athletes. There's this idea that you have to only focus on your sport and it can create a lot of problems with kids and their identity and all of these other things. So for you, what lessons did you learn early on about multitasking that allowed you to be a multidimensional woman, athlete, student athlete that, you know, carried into the success you're seeing in your adult life? Yeah. Um, so just balancing academics and athletics in general requires huge time management skills, organization skills, discipline Um, it's so easy to say I'm tired after practice. I don't feel like, you know, doing my homework, um, really just being organized and having a schedule, having a plan. Um, it really helps those skills being a student athlete, especially going to Northwestern. Uh, (laughs) My first year at Northwestern, it was, uh, it was, it was difficult. Like I was majoring in computer engineering. I would have two practices a day. I would be in a computer lab until, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., turn around, have 7 a.m. workouts. I don't I don't think I turned my TV on my whole first year there. Um, so just balancing and just having, you know, the grit and determination to get through that is just helps down the road. Like now everything's easier. Like I, 
I've, I've been through crazy times where I can manage multitask and manage multiple things at the same time. So that's helped tremendously. Definitely. Um, speaking of your career at Northwestern, what was that experience like? Sorry, what was that experience like? You started at Boston, correct? And then transferred to Northwestern. So talk yes. me through that experience, that chapter of your of your life and and how that transition to Northwestern, um, you know, why that was best for you. Okay. Um, I actually was balancing between Boston University and Northwestern as my last two choices. I ended up going to Boston University because I was majoring in aerospace engineering. Um, Boston University was a, a very good, had a very good program, had a very good basketball program, um, a really talented coach and Margaret McKeon. Uh, so I went out there and long story short, I took a physics class my first year and I wasn't familiar with curves. So I thought I failed my midterm. So I quickly dropped it. Turns out I actually had an A in it because of the curve, but I just wasn't <laughs> familiar what? with the process. Yeah. Um, but I ended up dropping the class and I picked up a computer programming class and I just absolutely loved it. So I ended up changing majors and um, sadly my coach was let go. Mm-hmm. So just balancing a lot of different majors. So I really wasn't required to be in Boston anymore um, in my eyes, different coach. So I just figured I can go home and, you know, study computer engineering, play in the big 10. Um, so that was why I made that decision and very, very happy about making that decision in my life. Definitely. Isn't that crazy? I mean, look at that. You aced the class or had an A on your midterm, but that whole experience shifted the trajectory of your life. Yep, exactly. See, God makes no mistakes. Our, we make plans and God laughs. I love to say that. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Um, but coming back to Northwestern, playing in the Big Ten, how much did you enjoy playing in the Big Ten? Can you describe some of the battles that went down in Big Ten women's basketball? Yeah. So, I mean, coming from Boston University, playing in America East, then coming over to the Big Ten, it's quite different basketball. Yeah. Like, you're going up against, at that moment, Ohio State is top five every year. Um, Minnesota's really good. Uh it's just good basketball. Ever Purdue was actually very good at that time. Right. Um, just top tier basketball. And it's just, you don't get a break every single game. There's, there's no circle of games like that'll be a win. You know, mm-hmm. like you have to bring it every single game and playing against some really good programs. Uh, I actually got to play against my, um, my backcourt teammate, Janelle Hughes. Wow. At Illinois, so that was right. fun as well. Just coming back and playing against a lot more local talent as well. Um, it was a really cool experience, and then also being able to play against DePaul, like a lot of Chicago players that I grew up playing against, played at DePaul. So getting to play against them again, it was just a, an awesome experience. Northwestern in general is just a top tier program, top tier athletic program, and the way they treated us, it was it was amazing. I was very happy. I decided to come back home to. Awesome. Um, I want to revisit something we talked about, but that identity of being an athlete and, and nothing more. And you've obviously from day one established yourself as so much more than just a basketball player. 
whether it's even as an athlete, you've been a basketball player, a football player, you know, all of these different things that you can identify with, but specifically your identity as an athlete and also off the field, off the court, something more than that. And I wonder if that, you know, talent is just an inherent quality or did you have to train your mind young to, to keep that in mind that you are so much more than whatever Jersey it is you're putting on? Um, Honestly, I always prided myself in being able to do both. Like I always say like, you know, student and athlete, you know, like I prided on being able to excel in athletics as well as knowing that I'm pretty smart. You know, I put in a lot of work. I work hard and finish my homework, you know, try to do well on my tests, always studying. Um, that, That at a young age, my parents instilled in me and it, thankfully it stuck. Um, so that's something, honestly, I I don't think I really had to try it and like tell myself to do this. It was just kind of innate and taught to me at a young age and I was able to continue doing it. Yeah. A natural kind of already understood quality about yourself. Yeah. Um, And I I think, sorry, I think also when I was younger, I would get praise about it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're so smart and you're an athlete. Um, so I think I kind of like that. And that's what kept me going as well. Yeah, we we love the re- reaffirming of that, <laughs> that we're doing a good job. We all can admit we love to hear, you know, the the praise, the the yeah. gratitude to what we're we're accomplishing. So I can relate to that. But transitioning here, you spent seven years as a member of the Mexico national team, which won a silver medal at the Pan American Games in 2011. And. I wonder for you, what life experience did you gain from competing on a national team with women who, you know, didn't grow up in the suburbs of Chicago? What did that teach you about life and also about the game of basketball? Um, It's just, I mean, everybody loves basketball, you know, so going out there and just seeing their passion I'm, I'm personally seeing their upbringings, you know, meeting their family and, you know, going to visit their homes. Um, and it's just, it, it's amazing that basketball unites everybody collectively like that. But um, the, the passion's there. I see them working just as hard as me, working harder than me. Um, so it was just, it was just an amazing experience to get to be able to meet that culture, meet that part of my family. Um, I would have, I probably would have never gone there, been around that environment just on my own. So basketball was able to allow me to uh, experience that. And it was, it's something that was truly special and honestly, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Yeah. So did you, what, what was that time frame like? Were you splitting time, um, you know, between living in Mexico and living back here in, in the Chicagoland area? What did those years look like for you? Yeah. So it actually started while I was in college still. So summer going from sophomore to junior year is when I started playing. So I had to play as an amateur. Um, And so that was easy because in the summers I would just go to Mexico and live there. And they have like a whole um, like Olympic um, compound where all the Olympic training athletes stay. So it was almost like I'm living on a dorm down in Mexico, eating (laughs) Mexican cafeteria food, um, just that whole lifestyle. Uh, but when I graduated college, I 
got a job. I was working for Peak Six, which Peak Six was a trading firm down in Chicago Board of Trade. And I was lucky enough for them to allow me to leave for like two to three months in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I just did like an unpaid leave of absence, save my vacation days. Um, but they thought it was really awesome that I was going to do that. And they fully supported it and really grateful for that as well. What sacrifices were you having to make in order to chase that dream in Mexico? Were you earning a stipend? And also second part to that question, you know, you're taking off two to three months, but the rest of the year, what investment were you making into your training out of your own pocket? What personal investment, whether it's time, money, both, were you making to make sure that when those two to three months came around, you were ready? Yeah. Um, Well, I think a prelude to that question that I should mention is coming out of college, like I was also, I had options to be able to go play overseas. So not for the national team, like just in Europe. Um, But as you mentioned, the pay is not equal pay. You're not getting paid like how the men get paid over there. So um, you find yourself, if you want to play for during that time, the WNBA, it's almost expectation that you have to play overseas as well to supplement because you can't live off of, you know, your three month um, salary that you're getting with the WNBA, unless you're, you know, a top tier player. But, but the expectation is you also go overseas and play, which requires you to play year round, which can be ch- challenging on the body as well. Um, so that's why I actually didn't go that direction. And I decided that I would just play for the Mexican national team, which was just the three month season. And then, still be able to continue my career um, using my, my degree that I received from Northwestern. But um, to your questions, I would have to take, like I said, an unpaid leave of absence from work for those three months, but Mexico did pay me. They gave me a stipend, which I was you know, happy with. Um, but to come out of my pocket during the other, other times in the season, Yes, I would have to go to, you know, pay for physical therapy. Like you just take beatings on the body. I'd have to pay personal trainers, pay for facilities to get into, to get my workouts, um, just playing random leagues. Um, so, I mean, it, it costs money, but if you love it, if, if you want it, it'll, it's worth it. When you were forced to confront that decision of continuing your basketball career or, you know, deciding to commit to your career off the court, how challenging was that? And who were some people that you were talking to about making that decision? Did you revisit those conversations with any of your former teammates? You know, you mentioned who played overseas or did you just make the decision yourself and stick to it? Yeah, I, Well, I knew a lot of um, players, I mean, playing with them at that time. So I definitely reached out to a few people just to get an idea of, you know, what their salaries are like, what's the job market like um, overseas. Um, I talked to Janelle. She was playing overseas. I talked to my uh, teammate in Northwestern, Ifoma Okonkwo. She was playing in Iceland Um, and just kind of hearing their stories of uh, just – lifestyle and salaries. Uh, it was, it was kind of deterring. I mean, they still, they love the basketball. The basketball was good, but like you say, the pay or um, just the living can be challenging sometimes. And then to my luck, it was right around the recession. So right around 2008, when 
there were quite a few teams of the women's teams going bankrupt, mm-hmm. um, not being paid. So it was, it was a lot of, uh, a lot going on around that time. And then I, you know, had a bunch of job offers based on my, to be a software engineer. So I just, to me, it was, it was a no brainer. Like I, I love basketball and I was able to find a way to continue to play with Mexico. So that was, that was good enough for me. The reason that we're talking today, I mean, we're talking for multiple reasons, but you know, the international federation of American football, the flag football championships will be in Spain in October, 2021. And you were tapped to be a part of that team. Wow. We need to get into how this opportunity presented itself. I mean, basketball star to now being asked to participate with USA football. Tell me how this went down. Okay. Um, So actually flag football for me started a while. It started right out of college. Um, Right when I finished college, before I left to go play for Mexico, uh, some friends from Northwestern, some ex-football players, they asked if I wanted to join this co-ed flag football team. And I'm like, yes, I miss football. I used to love playing football, you know? So this is back in 2008. I start playing. I love it. So I'm playing every single summer since 2008 with just a league on the south side of Chicago called um, Absolute Athletics. And I'm, it is, it is what I look forward to every Sunday. Like it's, it's a rec team, but we're practicing once a week. So we're practicing on Wednesdays and we're playing on Sundays. So flag football is starting to take up a good amount of my time. Mm -hmm. But, um, I had no idea that it was so big across the country as well as like just across the world. So, um, we started traveling to go to a tournament uh, and like right around MLK weekend every year. And I noticed that there are just like all women's teams. I'm like, this is awesome. I want to go play women's flag football now. So I connected with a, a team called women's FFN. It's ran by Norman Carter. And he was able to, it's, it's a travel team that exposes us to other countries. So we've gone to Brazil to play Germany, Bahamas, Puerto Rico, like a lot of different countries. And I was able to meet some other players and the coach of the USA team. So I found out there's a USA team. So it's another, you know, it's just like, wow moment. Like this is what I want to play for. So this was about three years ago. And so ever since then, I've just been training and just putting myself in positions to be recruited and seen by USA football. Um, And so I was, invited to the tryout in January in international bowl down in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, so 22 people were invited to the tryouts for the preliminary roster. And we just, it was just a, tor- a tournament. They ran it as a tournament. Um, some teams from Mexico, Panama, Canada were a part of the tournament. They split up again, split up the two USA teams and they just, they chose the final 12 players from that tournament. So and then I was just decided it was released in early December. So right. very super excited. about it. it was, it's been a goal of mine for a couple of years now. And I'm just, I'm just so excited that I was selected and I have the opportunity to represent USA now. What does it say about your athletic ability? And I know it's weird to talk about yourself, but please do if you can. What does it say about your athletic ability that you've been able to establish 
yourself as a beyond successful basketball player and then jet into the sport of football and not only earn success at the highest level with a spot on the USA football team, but you also play both sides of the ball, defense and offense. So please, if you can tell me what it says about your athletic ability that you are able to do all of this. Um, Honestly, a lot of people ask me about just basketball and flag football in general. And honestly, I think basketball translates extremely well to flag football. Um, Just in basketball, playing zone defense, like you're kind of, it's a lot about anticipation, Mm -hmm. reading. Um, So that translates very well on defense for flag football as well. And then just playing receiver, just the the hand-eye coordination that you require to have for basketball as well. Um, but I think what also helps me is I'm, I'm very, I, I really like learning the sport. So for me, like I'm not the fastest, I'm not the most athletic person on our team, but I'm a hard worker and I'm going to learn the little things that are going to make me succeed in the sport. So route running, like I pay attention to how routes are ran. I talk to NFL players on how they run their routes and the things they do and little tactics here and there, just little things that can give you the edge on the sport. Um, So I think that's what helps me excel as well. How has coronavirus affected your guys' training schedule? Have you been able to meet at all? And will you be able to train together as a group ahead of this October championship? Um, yeah, so 2020 was very challenging. So I'm I'm used to being able to play every weekend, um, maybe twice a week, and all of that was shut down this year. Um, the only time I was able to play is going to, like, tournaments mm-hmm. in other cities because Chicago, Chicago was completely shut down, but I was able to play in Dallas and Vegas, and I was able to go to a few places. Um a good core of the team lives in Dallas and we have plans of going to tournaments together to be able to get reps with each other. There's no official training or practices for the team until we get to um, Spain, but there, there are plans and schedules for us to go to set tournaments just for us to get in rhythm with each other and get reps and get some practice in. Is that weird at all? Because most, you know, when you think about team sports, you're ahead of a championship, you're working together every day or at least every week. So how does that affect your guys' ability to play together as a team if you're only given, you know, that short amount of time once you get to Spain to really um, create this cohesive unit? Yeah, it, it, it's quite challenging. Um, it is one of the things that, you know, they have to factor in when selecting players. Like, there's there's not time to coach, right? There's not time to teach you how to do these things. Like, you kind of have to be a player that can come in already knowing what to do so that at this point all you need to figure out is the gelling of the, the players. Um, so that's the goal with these tournaments is being able to get reps with each other, quarterbacks with receivers, understanding timing, speed, um, getting comfortable with how the person throws the ball on the defensive end, you know, understanding how players communicate and play off of each other. Uh, So the goal is to be able to play in a tournament, I think, at least once a month up until 
uh, October. And I think that'll, that'll, that'll help build some cohesiveness. Absolutely. Um, transitioning here again, as human beings with dreams, goals, whatever it is, whether it's on the field, off the field, there are certain challenges that take us a little longer to learn. Um, and it's through trial and error. And I also think as humans, we love to obsess over people's highlight reel. We love to look at someone's story and be like, oh, damn, Nadia did all of this and made it look so easy. But we know it to be true that it it wasn't easy. So for you, Nadia, uh, what is the lesson that's taken you the longest to master in your career? Ooh, that's a good one. The lesson that's taken me the longest to master. Well, for me personally, I, I, I put in the hard work. I put in the effort. I put in the time. So if something's challenging for me, I'm, I'm going to put in that extra effort to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. Just, I guess, balancing multiple things, like really trying to, it took time for me to really learn how to do that. Uh, I remember getting to college and having, you know, having some stress levels my freshman year with being able to balance them because I was just used to things being much easier and just kind of coming easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was something that I had to work through and really learn how to multitask and be able to put equal effort into multiple things versus, you know, I was, I used to be very, you know, checkbox A, checkbox B, like when you, when you get to college, like you, you have to do it all at the same time, you know, you have to multitask all of it. So I think that was a huge thing that I had to work through and understand and learn. Um, and, and I mean, that's something that transitions just regular day-to-day life, adult life. You can, handle stress better, handle things better when you can understand how to manage them. Absolutely. And did that come naturally to you, that work ethic of, if I don't get it, if it's not coming easy to me, I'm going to put in this amount of time until it gets easier and easier and easier. Because that's another thing that I don't think gets acknowledged enough about athletes is that that's a real mentality to Mm -hmm. be like down and out, you know, challenged beyond you think what your body's capable of handling and being like, no, I'm going to yeah. go at this harder. Yeah. I've, I've definitely always had like a no quit mentality. Like I, if I have a goal set, I'm, I'm going to reach it, whatever it is. When you're not competing, as you mentioned, you're working as a software engineer. How has that equally satisfied your drive, your hunger that has obviously been ignited your entire life through sport? Mm-hmm. Um, just, I've always had a passion for, even when I was younger, like passion for computers and working on computers. So um, what I do now, like I, I work for a trading firm and it's, it's very fast paced. Like it's very, you're, you're dealing with money that can be lost in seconds. So it's super fast paced. You need you need the new um, the new feature like yesterday because you have to make money ASAP before you know other firms get onto the the tip. Um, so just I think I really enjoy that because it's just thrill. It's fast paced. It's 
I love it. I love it. Yeah. So it's just something that has always um, interests me and it's, it's equally driving for me like the, the athletics does. You know, this industry and correct me if I'm wrong, it, it is another industry that's male dominated, I imagine. So, and Nadia is nodding. Yes. Everyone <laughs> listening. So I'm not off base here, but how did your career in sports prepare you to enter another industry that's heavily male dominated? Just the competition, the, um, the, how do I want to word this? Um, well, let, let me back up a second. Like my firm has, I think four women working for our company. Um, and we're about 150 people. Um, and just being able to be comfortable in that environment first, I think growing up playing sports, um, where I was always playing with boys growing up, like that has allowed me to be comfortable and be able to feel like I can hold my own and not be intimidated by, you know, by them. Because, I mean, they can be very, you know, try to be dominant, try to be strong willed and, you know, put their foot down, but you have to have a strong enough personality and a strong enough, um, drive to say, you know, I'm confident in what I'm doing. I know, I know my stuff, you know, so let's, let's have a conversation to just, it really takes you being a, a strong minded person to be able to be comfortable, um, in that environment and comfortable with yourself and comfortable with, you know, what you know and what you're bringing to the table. So I, I think it really just comes down to just confidence. You have Absolutely. to have that, that strong, confident mind to be able to hold your own. Absolutely. And to that, I wonder what your advice is for young women who are entering fields and industries and companies that are male dominated, because we know as women, it's not that we don't belong in these places and spaces. It's just that we've been taught and told to associate more with, I don't want to say a less confident mindset, but um, it takes breaking some of those stereotypes to have the confidence that you just described that's Mm -hmm. needed in order to be successful in these places and spaces, which women naturally have. We just have to you know, not allow them to be stifled by society and all these other, you know, voices and and messaging that's being sent to us. So I wonder for you, what's your advice for young women who have dreams of entering fields like the one you're in now, but have that voice in the back of their head that's making them second guess it? Right. Yeah. I just say like, just continue to believe in yourself, make sure you know, make sure you're prepared, make sure you're ready to step into that room. Um, but then also just, I mean, just believe in yourself. Like we can do it. Like we're just as smart as them. We can do it, you know? (laughs) Um, but it's just like, again, just, just be confident when you walk in that room and believe in your, your knowledge, believe in what you bring to the table. Um, and I think also we just need to start more at a younger age is really instilling that in them, you know, instilling that they can do whatever they want to do as long as they work hard and, you know, learn the things that they need to learn to be able to be successful at that. Right. 100%. It's about the work you're putting in, not 
a specific avenue being unattainable for you just because you're a woman. You can do anything you want to do as long as you commit yourself to the grind it takes to get there. Um, Now, not be afraid of the grind because it is a grind. Like you have to be willing to do it as well. Like it will not be given to you on a platter. Like you have to have that drive and motivation to get to where you want to be. Right. Commitment to consistency is is a challenge, but it's a challenge that if, again, you commit yourself to, anything is possible. So lastly for you, Nadia, and I know you are so much more than just an athlete, but this podcast is about women in sports. And I wonder for you, what is your hope for the future of women entering the sports field? whether it's as an athlete, as a coach, as a manager, what do you hope the future looks like for women in sports? Um, I, I think the future is extremely bright. I think we are moving in a, a great direction. Like a lot of these male dominant sports are starting to see a lot of women. Like you're starting to see a lot of women present in the NFL on as coaches, as strength and conditioning, um, just a part of the programs, um, NBA is women involved now. Um, I just think it's, it's bright and I can see a lot of doors opening up. Also, I don't know if you've noticed like Nike and NFL have, um, put out that they are pushing to get black football and all high school sports. It's just, everything's opening up and I'm, I'm so excited to see it. Just the opportunities that are given to these young girls now. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on Equal Play. It truly was such a special episode.